Chapter 4 of The Crocodile by Fyodor Dostoevsky. Translated by Constance Garnett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. 4. The monkeys I dreamed about I surmise because they were shut up in the case at the Germans. But Elena Ivanovna was a different story. I may as well say at once, I loved the lady. But I make haste, post-haste, to make a qualification. I loved her as a father, neither more nor less. I judge that because I often felt an irresistible desire to kiss her little head or her rosy cheek. And although I never carried out this inclination, I would not have refused even to kiss her lips. And not merely her lips, but her teeth, which always gleamed so charmingly like two rows of pretty well-matched pearls when she laughed. She laughed extraordinarily often. Ivan Matveitch, in demonstrative moments, used to call her his darling absurdity, a name extremely happy and appropriate. She was a perfect sugar plum, and that was all one could say of her. Therefore, I am utterly at a loss to understand what possessed Ivan Matveitch to imagine his wife as a Russian Yevgenia tour. Anyway, my dream, with the exception of the monkeys, left a most pleasant impression upon me. And going over all the incidents of the previous day, as I drank my morning cup of tea, I resolved to go and see Elena Ivanovna at once on my way to the office, which indeed I was bound to do as the friend of the family. In a tiny little room, out of the bedroom, the so-called little drawing room, though their big drawing room was little too, Elena Ivanovna was sitting, in some half-transparent morning wrapper, on a smart little sofa before a little tea table drinking coffee out of a little cup, in which she was dipping a minute biscuit. She was ravishingly pretty, but struck me as being at the same time rather pensive. "'Ah, that's you, naughty man,' she said, greeting me with an absent-minded smile. "'Sit down, Featherhead. Have some coffee. Well, what were you doing yesterday? Were you at the masquerade?' "'Why, were you? I don't go, you know.' Besides, yesterday I was visiting our captive. I sighed and assumed a pious expression as I took the coffee. Whom? What captive? Oh, yes, poor fellow. Well, how is he? Bored? Do you know? I wanted to ask you. I suppose I can ask for a divorce now. A divorce? I cried in indignation and almost spilled the coffee. It's that swarthy fellow, I thought to myself bitterly. There was a certain swarthy gentleman, with little mustaches, who was something in the architectural line, and who came far too often to see them, and was extremely skillful in amusing Elena Ivanovna. I must confess I hated him, and there was no doubt that he had succeeded in seeing Elena Ivanovna yesterday, either at the masquerade or even here, and putting all sorts of nonsense into her head. Why? Elena Ivanovna rattled off hurriedly, as though it were a lesson she had learned. If he is going to stay on in the crocodile, perhaps not come back all his life, while I sit waiting for him here, a, a husband ought to live at home and not in a crocodile. But this was an unforeseen occurrence, I was beginning in very comprehensible agitation. Oh, no, don't talk to me. I won't listen. I won't listen, she cried, suddenly getting quite cross. You are always against me, you wretch. There's no doing anything with you. You will never give me any advice. 
Other people tell me that I can get a divorce, because Ivan Matveitch will not get his salary now. Elena Ivanovna. Is it you I hear? I exclaimed pathetically. What villain could have put such an idea into your head? And divorce on such a trivial ground as a salary is quite impossible. Poor Ivan Matveitch. Poor Ivan Matveitch is, so to speak, burning with love for you, even in the bowels of the monster. What's more, he's melting away with love like a lump of sugar. Yesterday, while you were enjoying yourself at the masquerade, he was saying that he might in the last resort send for you as his lawful spouse to join him in the entrails of the monster, especially as it appears the crocodile is exceedingly roomy, not only able to accommodate two, but even three persons. And then I told her all that interesting part of my conversation the night before with Ivan Matveitch. What? What? she cried in surprise. You want me to get into the monster, too? To be with Ivan Matveitch? What an idea! And how am I to get in there, in my hat and crinoline? Heavens, what foolishness! And what should I look like while I was getting into it? And very likely there would be someone there to see me. It's absurd. And what should I have to eat there? And... And, and what should I do there when, oh my goodness, what will they think of next, and what should I have to amuse me there? You say there's a smell of gutta percha? And what should I do if we quarreled? Should we have to go on staying there, side by side? Foo, how horrid. I agree, I agree with all those arguments, my sweet Elena Ivanovna, I interrupted, striving to express myself with that natural enthusiasm which always overtakes a man when he feels the truth is on his side. But one thing you have not appreciated in all this, you have not realized that he cannot live without you if he is inviting you there. That is a proof of love, passionate, faithful, ardent love. You have thought too little of his love, dear Elena Ivanovna. I won't, I won't, I won't hear anything about it. Waving me off with her pretty little hand with glistening pink nails that had just been washed and polished. Horrid man, you will reduce me to tears. Get into it yourself if you like the prospect. You are his friend. Get in, keep him company, and spend your life discussing some tedious science. You are wrong to laugh at this suggestion. I checked the frivolous woman with dignity. Ivan Matveitch has invited me as it is. You, of course, are summoned there by duty. For me, it would be an act of generosity. But when Ivan Matveitch described to me last night the elasticity of the crocodile. He hinted very plainly that there would be room not only for you two, but for me also as a friend of the family, especially if I wished to join you, and therefore... How so, the three of us? cried Elena Ivanovna, looking at me in surprise. Why, how should we... Are we going to be all three there together? Ha! How silly you both are! Ah! I shall certainly pinch you all the time, you wretch! Ha ha! And falling back on the sofa, she laughed, till she cried. All this, the tears and the laughter, were so fascinating that I could not resist rushing eagerly to kiss her hand, which she did not oppose, though she did pinch my ears lightly as a sign of reconciliation. Then we both grew very cheerful, and I described to her, in detail, all Ivan Matveitch's plans. The thought of her evening receptions and her salon pleased her very much. Only I should need a great many new dresses, she observed. 
and so Ivan Matveitch must send me as much of his salary as possible and as soon as possible, only, only, I don't know about that, she added thoughtfully. How can he be brought here, in the tank? That's very absurd. I don't want my husband to be carried about in a tank. I should feel quite ashamed for my visitors to see it. I don't want that. No, I don't. By the way, while I think of it, was Timofey Semyonitch here yesterday? Oh, yes, he was. He came to comfort me, and do you know, we played cards all the time. He played for sweetmeats, and if I lost, he was to kiss my hands. What a wretch he is. And only fancy, he almost came to the masquerade with me, really. He was carried away by his feelings, I observed. And who would not be with you, you charmer? Oh, get along with your compliments. Stay, I'll give you a pinch, as a parting present. I've learned to pinch awfully well lately. Well, what do you say to that? By the way, you say Ivan Matveitch spoke several times of me yesterday? N no, not exactly. I must say he's thinking more now of the fate of humanity, and wants— Oh, let him, you needn't go on. I am sure it's fearfully boring. I'll go and see him sometime. I shall certainly go tomorrow, only not today. I've got a headache. And besides, there will be such a lot of people there today, they'll say, that's his wife, and I shall feel ashamed. Goodbye, you will be there this evening, won't you? To see him, yes. He asked me to go, and take him the papers. That's capital. Go and read to him, but don't come and see me today. I'm not well and perhaps I may go and see someone. Goodbye, you naughty man. It's that swarthy fellow is going to see her this evening, I thought. At the office, of course, I gave no sign of being consumed by these cares and anxieties. But soon I noticed some of the most progressive papers seemed to be passing particularly rapidly from hand to hand among my colleagues, and were being read with an extremely serious expression of face. The first one that reached me was the news sheet a paper of no particular party, but humanitarian in general, for which it was regarded with contempt among us, though it was read. Not without surprise, I read in it the following paragraph. Yesterday, strange rumors were circulating among the spacious ways and sumptuous buildings of our vast metropolis. A certain well-known bon vivant of the highest society, probably weary of the cuisine at Burrell's and at the X-Club, went into the arcade, into the place where an immense crocodile recently brought to the metropolis is being exhibited, and insisted on its being prepared for his dinner. After bargaining with the proprietor, he at once set to work to devour him. That is, not the proprietor, a very meek and punctilious German, but his crocodile, cutting juicy morsels with his penknife from the living animal, and swallowing them with extraordinary rapidity. By degrees, the whole crocodile disappeared, into the vast recesses of his stomach, so that he was even on the point of attacking an ichneumon, a constant companion of the crocodile, probably imagining that the latter would be as savory. We are by no means opposed to that new article of diet, with which foreign gourmands have long been familiar. We have indeed predicted that it would come. English lords and travelers make up regular parties for catching crocodiles in Egypt, and consume the back of the monster cooked like beefsteak with mustard, onions, and potatoes. The French, who followed in the train of Lesseps, prefer the paws baked in hot ashes, which they do, however, in opposition to the English, who laugh at them. Probably both ways would be appreciated among us. For our part, we are delighted at a new branch of industry, 
of which our great and varied fatherland stands preeminently in need. Probably before a year is out, crocodiles will be brought in hundreds to replace this first one, lost in the stomach of a Petersburg gourmand. And why should not the crocodile be acclimated among us in Russia? If the water of the Neva is too cold for these interesting strangers, there are ponds in the capital and rivers and lakes outside it. Why not breed crocodiles in Pargolovo, for instance, or at Pavlovsk in the Przensky ponds, and in Samateka in Moscow, while providing agreeable, wholesome nourishment for our fastidious gourmands? They might at the same time entertain the ladies who walk about these palms and instruct the children in natural history. The crocodile skin might be used for making jewel cases, boxes, cigar cases, pocketbooks, and possibly more than 1,000 saved up in the greasy notes that are peculiarly beloved of merchants might be laid by in crocodile skin. We hope to return more than once to this interesting topic. Though I had foreseen something of the sort, yet the reckless inaccuracy of the paragraph overwhelmed me. Finding no one with whom to share my impression, I turned to Prohor Savage, who was sitting opposite to me, and noticed that the latter had been watching me for some time, while in his hand he held the voice, as though he were on the point of passing it to me. Without a word, he took the news sheet from me, and as he handed me the voice, he drew a line with his nail against an article to which he probably wished to call my attention. This Prohor Savage was a very queer man, a taciturn old bachelor. He was not on intimate terms with any of us, scarcely spoke to anyone in the office, always had an opinion of his own about everything, but could not bear to impart it to anyone. He lived alone. Hardly anyone among us had ever been in his lodging. This was what I read in the voice. Everyone knows that we are progressive and humanitarian and want to be on a level with Europe in this respect. But in spite of all our exertions and the efforts of our paper, we are still far from maturity, as may be judged from the shocking incident which took place yesterday in the arcade and which we predicted long ago. A foreigner arrives in the capital, bringing with him a crocodile which he begins exhibiting in the arcade. We immediately hasten to welcome a new branch of useful industry, such as our powerful and varied fatherland stands in great need of. Suddenly, yesterday at four o'clock in the afternoon, a gentleman of exceptional stoutness enters the foreigner's shop in an intoxicated condition, pays his entrance money, and immediately, without any warning, leaps into the jaws of the crocodile, who was forced, of course, to swallow him, if only from an instinct of self-preservation to avoid being crushed. Tumbling into the inside of the crocodile, the stranger at once dropped asleep. Neither the shouts of the foreign proprietor, nor the lamentations of his terrified family, nor threats to send for the police made the slightest impression. Within the crocodile was heard nothing but laughter and a promise to flay him, sick. Though the poor mammal, compelled to swallow such a mass, was vainly shedding tears. An uninvited guest is worse than a tartar. But, in spite of the proverb, the insolent visitor would not leave. We do not know how to explain such barbarous incidents, which prove our lack of culture and disgrace us in the eyes of foreigners. The recklessness of the Russian temperament has found a fresh outlet. It may be asked what was the object of the uninvited visitor. A warm and comfortable abode? 
but there are many excellent houses in the capital with very cheap and comfortable lodgings with a naval water laid on and a staircase lighted by gas frequently with a hall porter maintained by the proprietor we could call our readers attention to the barbarous treatment of domestic animals it is difficult of course for the crocodile to digest such a mass all at once and now he lies swollen out to the size of a mountain awaiting death in insufferable agonies in europe persons guilty of inhumanity towards domestic animals have long been punished by law but in spite of our european enlightenment in spite of our european pavements in spite of the european architecture of our houses we are still far from shaking off our time-honored traditions though the houses are new the conventions are old and indeed the houses are not new at least the staircases in them are not we have more than once in our paper alluded to the fact that in the petersburg side in the house of the merchant lukianov the steps of the wooden staircase have decayed fallen away and have long been a danger for afimya skapitarov a soldier's wife who works in the house and is often obliged to go up the stairs with water or armfuls of wood at last our predictions have come true yesterday evening at half-past eight afimya skapitarov fell down with a basin of soup and broke her leg we do not know whether lukianov was will mend his staircase now russians are often wise after the event but the victim of russian carelessness has by now been taken to the hospital in the same way we shall never cease to maintain that the house porters who clear away the mud from the wooden pavement in the viborsky side ought not to spatter the legs of passers-by but should throw the mud up into heaps as is done in europe and so on and so on what's this i asked in some perplexity looking at prohor savage what's the meaning of it how do you mean why upon my word instead of pitying ivan matveitch they pity the crocodile what of it they have pity even for a beast a mammal we must be up to europe mustn't we they have a very warm feeling for crocodiles there too he <laughs> saying this queer old prohor savage dived into his papers and would not utter another word i stuffed the voice and the news sheet into my pocket and collected as many old copies of the newspapers as i could find for ivan matveitch's diversion in the evening and though the evening was far off yet on this occasion i slipped away from the office early to go to the arcade and look if only from a distance at what was going on there and to listen to the various remarks and currents of opinion i foresaw that there would be a regular crush there and turned up the collar of my coat to meet it i somehow felt rather shy so unaccustomed are we to publicity but i feel that i have no right to report my own prosaic feelings when faced with this remarkable and original incident end of chapter four end of the crocodile by fyodor dostoevsky translated by constance garnett this recording is by philip Kryan in st paul minnesota